Here at the TalkHouse Podcasts, we want to hear from you, about you, our listeners. Go to bit.ly slash TalkHouse Survey to fill out a two-minute survey. To make it worth your while, we'll be giving away a Fender Mahogany acoustic guitar, a 9LP prize pack courtesy of the folks at Secretly Group and Dead Oceans, a custom Levi's jean jacket, and four $25 Amazon gift cards to lucky participants. That link again is bit.ly slash TalkHouse Survey. With the release of Julia Holter's new LP, In the Same Room, which features gorgeous new live-in-studio versions of songs from her last two albums, as well as an imminent new record from Broken Social Scene, we wanted to revisit the thoughtful conversation Holter and Broken Social Scene's Kevin Drew had last summer for the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Here's that episode in its entirety. Enjoy. I'm Elia Einhorn, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. The TalkHouse team set up camp at Pitchfork Music Festival in Chicago earlier this summer and recorded some fantastic artist-on-artist talks. Last episode, you heard a chat between the band Whitney and Spencer Tweedy of the groups Tweedy and The Blisters. Today's episode pairs two songwriters, Julia Holter and Broken Social Scene's Kevin Drew, who excel at pairing emotionally evocative lyrics with constantly evolving sonic landscapes that often sound very different from record to record and song to song. Julia Holter is a songwriter, composer, and keyboardist based out of Los Angeles. She's a fascinating artist who over the last five years has released records inspired by an ancient Greek play by Euripides and by a novella by the French writer Colette. Holter studied composition at CalArts and singing in India under a revered vocal master. Over the course of her four LPs, she's gone from more sample-based, affected audio to a live band and chamber orchestra sound. Her latest album, Last Year's Have You In My Wilderness, is a dense harpsichord and string-laden affair with dreamy lyrics that evoke poignant moments. Holter has also collaborated with artists as disparate as electronic music pioneer Jean-Michel Jarre and indie rockers DuckTales. Formed in 1999, Toronto's broken social scene rose to prominence in the aughts, bringing expansive arrangements to their arty guitar sound and cathartic live sets. Sometimes the group's concerts would find 15 musicians on stage. They were a band, but they also identified as a collective whose members were encouraged to release solo records and undertake other collaborations. A number of members made names for themselves outside of Broken Social Scene, including Leslie Feist and Emily Haynes of Metric. But no matter who else floated into and out of the band's ranks, Kevin Drew, along with co-founder Brendan Canning, was always at the center. Drew's often oblique songwriting and insistence on connecting deeply with his audience on record and at shows were central to the band's success. The group has released a handful of LPs, and Drew has dropped two solo records, most recently 2014's Darlings. As discussed in this talk, Broken Social Scene are currently at work on a new album. Drew and Holter sat down backstage at Pitchfork Fest to discuss the difference between writing solo and with a group, how the next Broken Social Scene record needs some Bobby McFerrin-esque acapella, and, excitingly, how they'd like to collaborate. Take a listen. Thousands of people 
how was that for you? It was like really scary actually because my keyboard was being really weird. Your Nord uh, lead there? Yeah. Just have to like try to figure out machines. It was scary and that's why performing is fun. Because I'm the trying thrill. to make light of it. It was okay. It was kind of fun. Well, I, I love playing with my band and. Um, I love and your bass player's haircut. Yeah. I didn't know he was your bass player. And as I walked into the festival, <laughs> oh, I caught eyes it? and I, how you doing? I said, how are you doing? <laughs> That's really cool. I have like a friend here and I, she's texting me. I don't have my pass. Where's my pass? What do I say? Is it under my name? Is it under your name? I mean, tonight. I didn't bring ID. Was I supposed to bring ID? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's totally that kind of conversation. Well, did you mean Saturday? <laughs> so we have to talk about emotion, musical emotion. Yeah. Well, you, I know in your music, there tends to be like lots of very different types of instrumentation, like a variation. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Like changing things up a lot. Is that kind of like... Pass, passing the instruments around. Like when I'm writing, I always like don't think so much about the instrumentation I just do whatever works for the song and I wonder if that's the same for you it's like oh this song really needs like hurdy-gurdy and a tambourine and then mm -hmm. this song needs like piano and a bird tweeting or something kazoo so it sounds really precious what I just described but I like to I personally like to work very quickly when it's with social scene uh, we've done it all kinds of ways. We've done from the ground up. We've done where someone's come in with a riff or we've done where someone's come in with a, here's a song. You know, here's the, the, the verse and the bridge, but no chorus. Um, and I think we embraced that style of pile it all on and then see what works. So put as much mm -hmm. as you can on top of the song and then start to eliminate. We didn't do that for a while. But we started to uh, do that in the later years. And, and I find, especially when I'm doing solo stuff, it's so much fun because you can come up with all the hooks and melodies that you want and play all the instruments that you want to. But at the end of the day, there was something that I loved about just so much sound. And if you could listen on your headphones and constantly keep finding little drones that you didn't mm -hmm. hear before, little melodies that yeah. are underneath. I was very much a headphone kid in high school. Mm -hmm. So headphones were sort of my savior because they got me outside of the world. And when I could constantly listen to records and keep finding things again and again and again that were sort of subliminal, that's what I loved. Totally. Do you find, and I feel really similarly with writing or recording, do you find, like, I find this thing sometimes where you you hear things you didn't know, hap you didn't know happened when you listen back and then that like sparks this whole other thing. Like then you work with that yeah. and you like make something with that. I don't know. That happens a lot where there's suddenly something, even if you just take that sample and you take it out of the song and build a whole song around it. Um, I've, I've had records finished, packaged and out in stores and heard songs and said, who, what, what was that sound there? I, I didn't mm -hmm. remember that. I don't know if totally. I forgot or just got slid by. We, we we worked with a, a, just an incredible producer, David Newfeld, and I remember coming in and listening to the song and saying, what is this part, Dave? And he'd be like, oh, it's <laughs> somebody just played it. And I'd say, no, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the song. He's like, oh, somebody, Andrew played it. I'm like, Andrew plays 
He did. He's like, okay, fine. I put it in there. Right? I played it. I played a key line. But it always sounded good. You'd argue. Really the beginning days, you would argue if you weren't there. It was kind of like if you weren't there, it didn't happen. Right. So you need to have your hands on everything and you need to be there. And and then I found as I got older, what sounds good is what sounds good. And what's good for the song is good for the song. And to be precious about it is almost smothering it or getting in the way of it. It took totally. me a while, mm-hmm. obviously egotistically to to get through that, but I've produced a lot of records now and and there's nothing I appreciate more than trust. Yeah. And having the band say, what do you want us to do? Or we don't need to be in the room when you're making these decisions. So I've come at it a lot differently as I approach my 40s. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because like trust leads to experimentation, I think. You start at a place where you like trust other people and you trust yourself. At least for me, I don't know if I trust myself completely, but I tend to... If I feel comfortable, I can like explore things more so with my voice. It's sort of with keyboard too. And um, yeah, just in the right environment, right people. And then you can, then you can like mess around and make stuff that has these weird like melodies that you play on the keyboard that didn't, weren't intentional. And then like you end up building a whole section around that or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, trust is... It's everything. It's freedom mm-hmm. in, in everything that you do. You trust your coworkers. You trust your lover. You trust your band. You trust who your your friends are. That gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah. Uh, there's an industry based on mistrust. So obviously we're we're taught to look over our shoulders. But uh, right. I'm grateful for for social scene because I, I've been saying a lot lately. We're not a band. We're a family. Mm. And that's because of we trust each other. And we argue with each other and we're what the element of what a family is. You're, you're almost stuck with each other. Right. You couldn't see how you would do it without these people. And you have to learn that every time you get back together. And, but, yeah, I think there's nothing greater than being able to screw around and not do the first impression upon something. Give it, give it a third and a fourth because a lot of times the defensiveness that we have with sound and hooks and melodies or that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Why would I do that? That's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But if you actually take yourself out of it and give it a few shots, it always creates something new. Right. Yeah. Do you, do like, do you enter a studio like with fully finished songs? No. Like, uh, form wise or no. Um, I'm currently in this, back in the studio first time in seven years with with these guys with social scene and I have to teach myself patience again because I'm very quick I I believe if you don't catch the moment then you lose it and that's something that I sort of saw and witnessed as I made albums for the last 19 years I don't like to repeat myself I don't like to I like to I like the first notion of what you come up with or what emotion you're conveying in a song. Lyrically, it's difficult for me if I don't have it right away because if I have to sit and think about it for a while, I feel defeated. Right. And if we don't get it right away, I feel defeated. And when I did the, uh, a solo record called Darlings, it was very organic and it came very quickly. But with with the guys, everyone has, you have to appease everyone's nature of how 
they create. So you guys are writing together. Yes. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So that is because I've never written as like a group. I have a little bit, um, but not a lot. And to me, that's like very interesting, like how that happens. And if that happens completely before the studio or after or like during some people have a studio for a long time. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you, people now record in their rooms a lot, but um, there is like I still do this thing where I, in the past few years where I record at home and then I record in a studio for the final version. But that's not maybe always what's happening now. People just build a studio in their home that's like yeah. a really nice one or whatever. Do you find it hard to emulate what you did in your bedroom? Um, I guess I've only tried to do it for two records, but I don't. I actually was surprised that it wasn't that hard, but it definitely made for something different. Um, I kind of built these songs intending like with the demos whereas in the past I would really record really carefully even though it was sort of low fidelity I would record very carefully and intricately like messing around too but like mm -hmm. I would spend us so much time recording and like arranging at home and then for the demos for my last two records I arranged quite a bit but everything was kind of messily done because I was just going to like re-record in the studio in the past I didn't have a studio so I would just record at home so I found that in the end, it wasn't hard, but I also didn't fully develop what I was doing at home, like in the same way that I would in my past records. And I'm interested like to try doing that more now again, like to go back to just like fully developing it at home. Like instead I would, I would listen to what I roughly recorded at home in my demos. Like I basically I was creating demos in the past. I was creating final versions at home. Then I was creating demos this time. So like I would record everything at home but it was kind of rough and then I would like make arrangements for the players based on what I did so I'd like kind of transcribe it roughly into like a bass part and like violin part or viola part cello part and then sometimes saxophone or something and then bring it to the players and it was like this whole other new way of doing it but I, I thought it was really fun but I'm curious to like try doing it at home because I, again, because it kind of does lend itself to other things, I think. Did you like, did you like arranging for people? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I like what I think that I always kind of like have room for improvement with that. Like I really want to like do it more often and like find a way to communicate my ideas like better and not that there was a problem, but I just think, there's a lot to learn. Like there's a lot for me to work on. Do you write out the music for them? I do. Um, some songs more than others. It depends. Sometimes I just have like the chords and then the basic melody. And then other times, like if the, it depends on like what the part is and that's the tricky part. Is it, is it like a, like, is it just like a homophonic thing where everyone's just playing a chord? But even then you kind of have to write in the parts because otherwise it takes forever in the studio, I would yeah. think. So, yeah, I write out like parts. I like the word homophonic. Yeah. What was polyphonic spree thinking of when they could have been homophonic spree? Polyphonic spree, God, were they, they polyphonic? Got it so That's wrong. The question. Would they have wore white if they were homophonic <laughs> spree? Maybe not. Yeah, homophonic. What would the color be for homophonic? Tonight? I really like heterophony where you have like all these different voices, but they're all playing kind of the same, like like different versions of the same melody. That's wow. kind of what I want to like get more into. You got to do an acapella record. 
Yeah. I actually would like that. It would be fun. I need to find a bunch of singers. I've been trying to encourage the guys to do that on this record. My inspiration, I wanted to do some Bobby McFerrin. Mm. That was kind of going into the studio. I said, I'm into this as long as we get into our Bobby McFerrin roots <laughs> and really, really get down to something interesting. Cool. You want to reinvent the wheel, that's where we're going. Wow. When's the last time we had an acapella breakout? You know? Right. It's got to come around at some point, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think. I mean, I I listened to so much like I was on the plane. I hate flying and I I was on the plane listening to some of my favorite like Renaissance choral music. Oh, it kind fantastic. of helps me or like um helps me get through hard times. I don't know, but it like like yeah, that's and it's weird because I don't think of it as a cappella, but that's what it is. It's just like voices and that's but, you know, I was actually in an early music choir once and it wasn't really f- professional singers. It was just musicians that can sing a pitch, but like not very well all the time. And I was, like, it I was, was in so that choir hard. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really hard to sing that music on acapella because you have to be like right on the pitch. Otherwise it throws everyone else it off. It does. Oh, I know. You So you've been in these. I tried to sing. Yeah. I tried to be a good singer. And now I just, it's, it's hard. I just go for it. I don't know if I'm going to hit notes, but yeah. as long as I know I'm giving it my best, then I think the audience is okay with the Kermit the Frog <laughs> aspect that I bring to the table. But you sound fantastic today. Oh, thanks. That's yeah, nice. that was a great show. And I love your last record. So that's interesting that that's the record where you came in and you brought musicians and you went to a studio and you brought in arrangements. That's good. It's it, it's something that I would experiment with again, even though yeah. I know you want to go back to the Well, bedroom. I did it twice, but I, yeah, I think I'm still going to do that, but I just want to like mess around more at home or something. Or well, the there's past. something about your space and, yeah. and being alone. And it brings a different energy when you're trying to evoke some honesty and truth and there's people around and there's phones and there's noise and there's everyone's moods. It's difficult because you want to cut above. You always, you know, if you could transcend for real for 30 seconds a day, then you're doing better than most. Yeah. And in the studio, you don't want to lie and you don't want to yeah. appease to to what the room energy is as well. And it's difficult when there's a lot of people in Well, it. I actually loved the studio. And for me, it wasn't, it was more like I, for those two projects, wanted that sound, which was, and, and you know what? Actually, I didn't record vocals in the studio. Good. Yeah, I just recorded them at home or at Cole, the producer's house. I didn't I didn't let myself worry. I did all the overdubs at home on the keyboard. Great. So like all of my stuff is separate from the studio. So I just record the instruments there. Yeah. So I actually love that process. But yeah, it's like if I were to like I couldn't write in a studio, I don't think. Well, and it's no expensive. one will pay me to yeah, no one's gonna <laughs> pay me to go write in the studio for like two weeks. It's not gonna happen. We write a lot in the song. Like we'll record, say, a, a nine-minute jam, and then try to find the song within it. I like to do vocals in the mix a lot, actually. Just when you're mixing and you're oh, listening, cool. and you're like, nope, because I I do believe it's all mood and how you're feeling and who's around you and what's mirroring your your world of what you're doing and mm-hmm. and I don't take vocals lightly. Or I take them extremely lightly and say, I'll never be able to do that again. Right. It's just, that's a one take. My friend Gord is a great, uh, he's been a great teacher about singing to me. And he has a great saying about some songs where 
he'll say, that's lyric proof. I, I don't know how the hell I'm supposed to sing over top of that. <laughs> that's lyric proof. And then there's other times where he just said, you'll never get the, capture that again. That's me. That's how I'm going to sing it. You want me to change that phrasing or, or where I go out of tune here, you're going to take the essence and the core of what I just sang. Mm. And I've always believed that. Everything's so clean. Everything's so, we, we know. We just have to turn on the radio and, and there's auto-tune. It's taken over our lives for the last 15 years. And there's still people out there that want that ragged, raw, uh, they can, you, you, know, you know, not going out of your way to make it dirty or to make it uh, not so professional as they would say. But it's actually, it's just, this is this is what I have. This is the best that I can do. And this is as real as it's going to get. And it's such a battle to do honest things. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're alienating anybody by just letting it all hang out and being yeah. out of tune and not hitting all the notes you need to. I just think you're saying, I have something to say. I, I want to scream out some emotion and this is it. Right. Yeah. And I find with writing that a lot of like, if I'm like, I write at the piano a lot and I find if that my voice and like the chords I'm playing, like everything becomes this one thing and it gets like molded into like what I play will affect the way I sing, like the way my mouth comes out. And then I end up like, like I sort of start writing songs with just like sounds and then they turn into words. Do you do that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're like, I'm in your head. <laughs> and you're just like, really hope no one hears that ever. I encourage you to, I remember a wonderful memory when we were at Primavera Sound and a couple of guys from Wilco were side stage and we were about to go on and it was this big crowd and it was 2010 and <laughs> we were all pumped. And one of the guys just said, look at this crowd. This is the greatest feeling when they all sing along with your songs. And I just turned to him and, oh, no, no, no. Watch. People don't know what we're saying. We yeah. basically have mumbled through all our albums. And and watch the people try to sing. They so badly want to sing, but they're not too right. sure they what the know. words are. Pronouncing for the men, the women have slayed it, but even feisty much to her dismay, we always kept her first takes because of the emotion. Yeah. So when she would do warm-up, like the the few times that we had her in, and she'd say, okay, let's try something like this, we would keep it. And she would be like, what the, what yeah, is this? Because like, she'd be like, I'm not singing I'm not, the word so What am I saying? Right. And we say, whatever you just sang when, and, and what we hear, what we can interpret from this is incredible. And there's always that battle to go back and change it and get the lyrics right. Right. I've put out songs where I wish I said something else. But right. the mumbling is part of the charm. The mumbling is, well, I kind of think it's the same. It's like meaning wise. Okay, I always say this. I don't know if it's true, but I heard somewhere. I don't know if this is like in really in some sort of scientific research, but that. It can be true um, if you want it, it to be. It can be true. I could act like I know it's true. We can but, make up statistics all day long. And I they think can be true. that they've like they've said that people, and I've said this in interviews kind of a lot. So I don't think most people like know all my interviews. But if you, sorry, if I say this all the time, but I think it's like very key and very interesting, is that lyrics for songs are like not the same as poetry. They're not just words on a page. They're actually like these things that are not words any longer. They're perceived, I think, by the brain, like people who have like like strokes or like have problems with memory will remember lyrics but and they will say the words with this mute with the melody together but they won't be able to speak 
or something like things like this where they you learn how things sound and so to me that's like in a way proof that uh, I'm not so interested in always bringing science into like creativity but I do think it's interesting oh, it's, great. it's interesting to think about how like the question of meaning with lyrics and if if they are really like if the meaning is coming through or if it's more just the sound meaning and to me that's like really exciting and I do find that even songs I know so well um I sometimes don't know what the lyrics are and mm -hmm. I realize that <laughs> god that's sort of embarrassing but I've always said there's songs where I have something to say and there's songs where I have something to sing and you're not necessarily yeah. going to know what I'm saying when I'm singing but you'll know what I'm saying when I have something to say. Totally. I like it. Yeah, like for the first song on this last set I did, which we hadn't practiced at all, we did this song just because I've been so overwhelmed by everything going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I had to do something kind of um, to calm myself down and maybe mm -hmm. calm other people down. You never know how people react to things. But was this song, Why Sad Song, which is like a phonetic translation of a song in another language. And it's like, I mean, it's something I like to do a lot where you just take the sound of words in another language and then turn them into... Um, English, basically removing the importance of meaning, inserting just the sound of the words in that language turned into English. Beautiful. <laughs> it is it's like really crazy because you end up with really nonsense, sort of, but nonsense then it kind of makes is sense. The best sense. Like keep your yams is like one of the lines. <laughs> like what does Charles Spearin in our band. Have you heard his record, The Happiness Project? Now, there's been some Happiness oh. Project book that came out and took over that phrasing of The Happiness Project. But he went around to his neighbors and interviewed them on what they thought happiness was and just interviewed his neighbors and took the interviews and built music around the interviews. They're actual speaking, the cadence, the ding, da, da. He followed the way their sounds, the way they answered, the way they spoke That's with cool. instruments. And you would love it. I, yeah. And the listeners who are definitely. listening, it's a record that doesn't get old. And I highly encourage they go listen to it because yes. it is following the key. We are speaking in tune, you and yeah. I right now. We're speaking in key. Right. Yeah, speech is very interesting. It is. Is it a dying art? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, should we just is. stop speaking? I mean, <laughs> we could just stop doing I gotta anything. I got to go sing. Oh, come yeah. on, you're like, come on in 20. What time is it? I uh, have to say, I got an email that said, Do you want to speak this with you, Julia? Mm -hmm. and, and I said, Yeah, I would love to do yeah, that. Yeah, likewise. And it's been a long time since I've done an artist to artist sort of interview and at the talk house. I went online, checked you guys out. I'm always late to every game. It's because I spent a lot of time in the bath, but uh, I loved your music. I've gone through it extensively and knowing that we were going to speak and seeing you tonight was great. And I wish you nothing but more. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Big fan. We should, fun. uh, we should collaborate on something Yeah, and yeah, not totally. put it out. This is not for the listeners, but yeah. just for us. We'll just go. But, uh, <laughs> what should we say to the people if they're listening? What would your closing lines be? Peace. Be well. No, uh, play around. Have fun. I think that's it. Be, be, be conscious. Read books. Don't spend time on Pokemon Go. Or what whatever. Is that? Sorry, what is it called? That's it, right? I know what Pokemon is, but what's Pokemon Go? Just get off Go? of that. Just like get off of that. It's a new craze. 
And all of those opinions and you want to And it sends you around on, on a treasure hunt like, or something? Put them into life right now because it's a it's bad times out there, but we but it's a, we have the power to change it. That's what we're told. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, remember, this is a big one and it's an important one because we do spend all this time in the digital media age. It's, it's good to know what your friends are doing, yes. but it's better to know what your friends are feeling. Mm-hmm. And you got to be in front of them to truly know what that is. Very important. It's all ripple. The only way this thing is going to change is the little things. It's all ripples. Yes. We've got to start creating bigger ripples. Yes, bigger ripples. And it starts at home. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. That was great. I'm Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to Julia Holter and Kevin Drew on the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for more TalkHouse Music Podcast episodes recorded at Pitchfork Music Festival. A big thank you to Pitchfork for hosting the TalkHouse at the Fest. This episode was recorded, edited, and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi. Till next time. In this